0: This episode is brought to you by Babysitter Massacre, Daddy's Little Killer, available on amazon.com in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. A good babysitter is hard to find, especially when they're all dead. Larkin's first night with the Babysitters Club has her filling in for a friend that's blowing off work for a hot date. The simple little lie will have dire consequences that trigger a series of unthinkable events and spurs a killer's need for revenge. With the bodies and suspects stacking up, can Larkin unmask the Kohler Slasher, or will she become another victim of Daddy's Little Killer? From the twisted mind of Weekly Spooky writer David O'Hanlon comes the first book in the Babysitter Massacre franchise series created by me. So check it out right now, Babysitter Massacre, Daddy's Little Killer, available on ebook, paperback, and now audiobook at (sighs) Amazon.com. that you want to be scared come with me you will experience tales of horror ghosts and death it is not recommended for the weak at heart listeners in the dark it's more fun that way this is weekly spooky. Hello my friends. Welcome to another bit of spooky on the weekly Uh, Right here, it is Wednesday, so we got another scary story for you, and I am, of course, your host and narrator, Henrik Kuto, and I hope you are having a very good week, and we can make it just a little bit better, and I want to mention real quick before we get to the story, that Weekly Spooky has just launched some new bonus content available exclusively for Patreon backers and Tip Jar subscribers, so... What we have now is a show called Behind the Spooky. We asked you guys what you wanted from uh, bonus material for the show, and you guys said you wanted behind-the-scenes podcasts, podcasts about who we are and what we do. So every month we'll be releasing episodes featuring interviews with authors, interviews with composers, interviews with producers, that let you know exactly how we put the whole show together. And there are two ways you can get the show. You can either go to weeklyspooky.com and click on Patreon, And back us for any amount of money, $1 and up per month to get access. Or at WeeklySpooky.com, you can select the tip jar option. And all you have to do is select recurring subscription, any amount. And you'll be able to receive the bonus episodes of the podcast. The first one is up now, and it's all about my roughly 15 years. In and around the podcast realm. So anyway, my friends, please go check that out at weeklyspooky.com. Your support means the world to us, and it allows us to keep doing what we're doing. But tonight, we have something very special, something very scary, and something very fun. This one is basically a slasher movie, but for your ears. So if you love a nice 80s uh, stalk and slash, a nice little teen horror experience, well, my friends... We have you covered because tonight is all about the horrors that I know all too well that go with trying to make a film, especially a scary one. So enjoy this story, and afterward, I'll be here to chat with you a little bit more. But for now, let's listen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) By Rob Fields. The group that was to breathe new life into the Strickfield University Film Society gathered in the movie room at Wilder Hall, the Student Union Building. When Professor James Corgan arrived to conduct the meeting, he sat on top of his desk and looked at the others. I see we're missing somebody, he said. I'm sure Jenny will be here shortly, Jesse, his busty, red-headed daughter, assured him. The professor appeared annoyed. I'm not talking about your sister. Just then, another girl entered the movie room. Sorry, I'm late. I I got delayed. Jessie turned to her. It's okay, Vicky. You didn't miss anything. In fact, we're heading out shortly. Professor Corgan looked at Vicky. You did read the script, right? Trust me, I know my lines, Vicky assured him. I know why Vicky got delayed. Bethany Mirren looked over at the others and made an obscene pantomime of giving oral sex, getting a few chuckles out of some of the males present. Jesse pointed right past Bethany. Hey, don't want to work with Vicki Valentine? There's the door. We've only got one shot at making this movie. Just say the word and we'll recast you. Bethany flashed a toothy smile. Your ad said you needed big-breasted girls for your movie. It just surprises me that you'd hire a porn star. That porn star can actually act, Jesse fired back. She's already starred in a horror movie for the North Ridgeway University Film Club. The Murder Club is kicking ass all over the film festival circuit. My contact at North Ridgeway told me it'll be getting a limited theatrical run in a few months. I want our movie to get that same prestige, especially if we want to keep the Strickfield University Film Society going. We've lost a lot of money over the past six months, Professor Corgan explained. Dean Roth won't set aside any more money in the budget for us unless we can start making some of our own. We have just enough money left to make our movie. My daughter here wrote the script, which is both excellent and an homage to cheesy exploitation horror. I don't personally care for horror movies, but I feel Jessie's going to do well with it. She'll be in the movie with all of you, but will also be directing Slasher, the title. I'm merely here as an advisor. I don't want any animosity between any of you especially with Vicki Valentine here. Jesse pointed to Bethany. You in or out? Bethany shrugged. I'm in. Jesse smiled. Excellent. Now, Professor Corgan picked up a bag and opened it. All of your smartphones are turned off and go in here. No interruptions due to someone getting a text. Some were reluctant in handing over their phones, but they were all collected. Jesse took an excited breath. Okay. Let's head on over to the old performance hall. It won't be torn down for a month yet. Dean Roth gave us permission to shoot Slasher there. Everything will be up and running, including the showers in the basement dressing room. If none of you want to go home, you can crash in one of the many old classrooms. So, are we ready? Cody King stood up. Let's go. Everybody exited Wilder Hall. They walked across campus until they came to the boarded-up building that was once Performance Hall. The building had seen better days, and it was very clear why a new one had been constructed. When Jessie was looking for locations to shoot Slasher, she had to convince Dean Jerry Roth to allow the Film Society to have the former Performance Art building until it was time to be leveled. He finally consented and wrote her the permit she needed. He also had signs posted that only the Film Society had access to the building. When they reached the front doors, Jessie unlocked them, and they all went inside. She was so excited to be shooting her first feature film that she could barely contain herself. She took a deep breath and turned to everybody. Okay, people, our first scene is already set up. Head down the hall to makeup and then we'll start. The first day of shooting for Slasher was about to begin. Jessie sat on the stage and looked over her copy of the script. Before long, she heard a door opening to her far left and saw her father coming in. We're shooting the opening scene in here, she informed him. He came and sat next to her. You're going to do just fine, Jesse. I suppose I'm curious. Why did you cast an adult film actress? I told you, Dad. She really can act. I had a chance to see her in the murder club at North Ridgeway University a few months ago, and I knew she'd be perfect for slasher. I met Vicky that night and showed her the script, which she loved. I can't pay my actors much, but I'm glad she took the role anyway. Vicky's trying to do more legitimate movies and get out of porn. I want to give her a chance to do that. He put a comforting arm around her. Okay, it's your movie. I said I'd back you. Jessie opened her script again. Like I said, we're shooting the first scene. I couldn't find anybody to play the Scream Queen killer, so I'm playing two roles. She picked up the blank white mask that signified the killer. I still can't reach Jenny. Do you know if she's coming? Her father looked grim. I didn't want to tell you, but... Your sister won't be joining us for our meetings again. Ever. Jesse looked worried. What's going on? He sighed. She's the reason we're having our money problems. I discovered she's been embezzling money from the film society. Her mouth opened wide. Oh, my God. Then they heard a noise. Professor Corgan quickly stood up and walked into the stage area. Somebody's up in the catwalk. Jessie found a flashlight and joined her father. She turned on the light and pointed it upward. I don't see anybody. I'm telling you. I saw somebody moving around up there, Jessie. Jessie slowly shined the light around a few more times. I still don't... Suddenly... The figure appeared. The figure was obviously feminine with a build similar to Jesse. The figure had the same red hair as Jesse and wore a sexy, form-fitting white dress that showed off how full and ample her breasts were. However, this female figure wore the very same mask that Jesse held in her hands. This girl was dressed as the Scream Queen, the killer of Slasher. She looked down at Jesse and her father for a long moment before she produced a bow and arrow. Before either of them could react, the Scream Queen took aim and shot the arrow right through Professor Corgan's heart. Jessie screamed as her father fell forward, dead before he hit the floor. Jessie looked up to the catwalk on impulse, but the Scream Queen was gone. Jessie held her dead father and sobbed. It was several minutes before the cast came in, ready to shoot the first scene. When they saw what had happened, they either gasped, Or screamed. Jesse turned to them. Get out of here! Call the police! Stanley Farnsworth quickly turned and left. It wasn't long before he was back. The doors are all chained and the windows are boarded up. We can't get out! Oh, bullshit, Cody King snapped. Get out of the way! The cast members reached the main doors to find they were indeed chained tightly shut from the inside. They went and checked the other doors. Hope quickly turned to despair when they found that they were chained in the exact same manner. We're fucking trapped in here, Cody yelled. Bullshit! People, come on, we need to keep it together here, Vicky Valentine said. Let's go back and check on Jesse. They went back to the stage and found Jessie still holding her father's body. Vicky lowered herself and convinced Jessie to put her father down. Jesse did, and became angry. I told you people to call the police! Let's all go together, Nate Henry piped up. There should be a phone in the office. What about the bag with our phones? Stanley inquired. Jessie looked dismal. Dad put them away somewhere. I don't know where. Vicky stood up and helped Jessie to her feet. We go to the office then. The seven of them entered the main office and found the landline phone. Stanley picked up the receiver and punched 911. Then he turned to the others with a grim look. It's dead. Bullshit! Cody snatched the receiver from Stanley after putting it to his ear. The worm's right. The killer probably cut the line. He slammed the receiver back onto the cradle. Fuck! Vicky quickly cried. Easy, people. We can't be losing our shit here, not now. Bethany sneered at Vicky. Just because you're the porn queen doesn't mean you're the queen. Cody turned to Vicky. Don't lose our shit. We're trapped in this fucking building. The phone ain't working. We are so fucked. Lizzie Jones finally got her words in. I've actually been looking for a weapon or something, but... I can't find so much as a single tool. I even went to a few of the other rooms nearby. There's nothing to use as a weapon to protect ourselves. The killers thought of... everything. Stanley groaned. We need to... Oh, shit! Everybody else screamed and panicked as the Scream Queen now stood in the doorway, armed. With a chainsaw, with one quick movement, she yanked the cord to bring the lethal weapon to life. Before Stanley could turn to move away, the killer thrust the chainsaw underneath his groin and worked right up the middle. Blood sprayed and splattered everywhere. The Scream Queen's once fully white outfit and mask were blood splattered. When the killer finished, the two halves of Stanley fell to the floor. The Scream Queen gave them a long, blank look before she turned and disappeared. The remaining six were too shocked to run after her. "'What the fucking fuck?' Bethany screamed. Then she whimpered when she finally realized that she had Stanley's blood splattered all over her. "'Ugh!' Jesse suddenly pointed to Lizzie. "'You say there aren't any weapons?' "'I don't believe that for a second. I'm sure the murdering cunt pretending to be the Scream Queen wants us to think that. There have to be things we can use as weapons. We just need to search the other rooms of the building.' "'I'm all for looking,' Vicky offered.' Bethany pointed to the doorway. Hey, porn queen, in case you were sleeping through all this shit, that fucking psycho bitch is still out there. Vicky glared at her. No shit, airhead. We can't just stay in here with our heads up our asses. You people can stay here if you want. I'm going with Jesse. We really shouldn't be splitting up, Nate stated. Like Vicky said, we can't just stay in here, Lizzie recalled. Hold it. I'll go with you and Jesse. As Nate reached out to take Vicky's hand, she slapped it away. Hands off, I'm married. Sorry. Jesse turned to the others. You three stay on this floor and look around. We'll head up to the second floor. Plus, we still have to check the basement. She turned to Nate and Vicky. Let's go. Jesse, Nate, and Vicky split from the others and headed for the second floor. Bethany and Cody were looking through drawers, closets, and other places where they might find weapons. Lizzie noticed that Bethany wasn't really making much of an effort. She seemed to be opening things, slowly, all while keeping her eyes on Cody. She also noticed that the rich girl had conveniently unbuttoned enough buttons on her top to reveal the ample cleavage in between her two surgically enhanced breasts. Truth be told, Cody really had an eye for Lizzie and kept checking out her ass whenever she wasn't looking. Bethany noticed this, and couldn't understand why he'd want to hook up with a future Susie Homemaker when he could have her hot and naked. All he had to do was just claim her. She had no problem answering Jessie's ad for big-breasted girls to act in her movie. Bethany knew she had the biggest ones out of every girl in the cast. Hell, even Vicky Valentine's natural ones didn't measure up to hers. Bethany had spent a pretty penny on her breasts to turn lots of heads. Yet Cody was wanting Lizzie. Oh, but Bethany wasn't giving up so fast. After all, she was from the infamously rich Mirin clan. And Mirren's always got what they wanted. Well, Bethany knew she couldn't just strip naked for Cody. Not with Lizzie right there. She would certainly continue to work her charms on him. Oh, yes, he would definitely give in to her. If he was a good lay, she would keep him for as long as she would continue to want to play with him. Everything good, Lizzie? Cody whispered. Lizzie, the lookout person, whispered back, I'm not seeing anything. Lizzie kept looking one way, then the other. In truth, she wanted to help search for weapons, but spoiled Bethany just had to have her way. She'd had enough of Bethany's hem-hawing before she could turn to tell Bethany to trade places with her. The blood-splattered Scream Queen was suddenly right there in front of her. Lizzie screamed when the Scream Queen grabbed her t-shirt and ripped it open, exposing her bouncing breasts. Then the Scream Queen grabbed Lizzie by her long, dark hair with the left hand and sank the blade of a box cutter into her flesh just below her ribs with the right. With a few swift, precise movements, Lizzie's stomach had been sliced open. Still holding Lizzie's hair, the Scream Queen forced Lizzie to quickly drop to her knees, causing her internal organs to drop right out of her stomach with a loud, sickening plop. Lizzie's corpse fell onto its side. Cody charged through the door, knocking the Scream Queen to the floor. She quickly got to her feet and ran away. Bethany shot out of the doorway. When she saw what was left of Lizzie, she quickly cradled Cody's arm. Holy shit. What are we going to do now? We got to keep looking for shit, Cody said. We don't know if the others will be back or not. We got to look out for ourselves now and find a way out of here. Please don't leave me, she moaned. Shh, shut up. Come on. Bethany nodded and held Cody's hand. He squeezed her hand and led the way. Jesse, Nate, and Vicky were on the second floor. They stuck together as they carefully examined classroom after classroom. They couldn't find anything available to be used as a weapon, not even so much as a pen. Vicky groaned in frustration. Nate put a gentle hand on her shoulder. I know. This psycho seems to have thought of everything. Jesse groaned in frustration herself. Why is that sick bitch doing this? Your guess is as good as mine. Nate replied. Vicky shook her head quickly. We just... God damn it, we just came here to shoot a horror movie. She grabbed her hair and groaned again. Am I being punished for being a porn star? My parents have never agreed with me doing porn to pay for school, but they supported my decision and I'm trying to get out, I really am. Jessie stepped in front of her. Look at me, Vicky, look at me. Vicky slowly focused on her. I see you. "'You do what you have to do to pay for college. I get it. "'I know Strickfield University's not the cheapest place to go. "'I don't think the Scream Queen is targeting you specifically. "'You'd be dead already. Just you.' "'She hugged Vicky. "'For what it's worth, thank you so much for agreeing to be in my movie.' "'Vicky hugged her back. "'Thank you for asking me.' "'Then they came apart. "'I don't want to die. I'm a senior this year. I want to graduate.' I'm finally at a point where I can leave porn and do something meaningful. What are you majoring in? Nate asked. Suddenly, there was a loud racket down the hallway from them, which made them all gasp. We have to go check it out, Jesse whispered. Are you crazy? The Scream Queen might be down there, Vicky whispered. Someone might be in trouble, Nate offered. Vicky really didn't want to go, but she nodded. They all cautiously moved down the hallway, checking every room along the way. Soon, they reached the room where they were sure they heard the noise. They entered the bloody room and found the remains of murdered crew members. Everywhere. Nate had to quickly cover Vicky's mouth to keep her from screaming. Jesse had to whisper to get her to calm down. When she did, Nate removed his hand. Then, Nate saw glass bottles of water on the desk. Being really thirsty, he picked one up and opened it. He'd only taken two swallows before he quickly spit it out, just missing Vicky. But he couldn't tell her that what he had just consumed was not water. It was highly corrosive acid. Vicky screamed in terror as Nate fell to his knees. His face, throat, and the flesh on his chest and stomach had melted away completely. Blood was pulling around his corpse quickly. Suddenly, the Scream Queen appeared with a bloody fire axe in her hands. "'Fuck you!' Jesse shouted. The Scream Queen raised and swung the axe at Jesse's neck. Jesse ducked, barely. When she came up, the girls both shoved the killer to the floor and ran out of the room. Cody and Bethany were exploring the basement now. They still hadn't found any weapons in spite of all the rooms they had checked. Bethany's arm was still wrapped around Cody's as she continued to cling to him. "'Why? What did we do wrong, Cody?' Cody sighed and gave her a brief, comforting hug. I don't know. What I do know is we gotta get the fuck out of here. They walked into the dressing rooms. Seeing nothing, they turned and walked into the shower room. Bethany was really scared now. God damn it. She held herself as she backed into a corner and seemed ready to cry. Cody moved to her and held her to him. Hey, don't come apart on me. Come on, Blondie. Stay with me here. Stay with me. Cody moved his hands to the sides of Bethany's face and began kissing her, hungrily. Bethany snatched him to her and kissed him with equal hunger. Bethany let him finish unbuttoning her top to expose her abundantly large breasts. Cody had seen Vicky Valentine's natural breasts many times when he'd watched her adult movies, but Bethany's enhanced ones were much bigger. And to a guy, bigger was always better, right? Also, he would have liked to have hooked up with Lizzie, but... She was dead. For all Cody would have known, they were all gonna die. Fuck it, he thought. Cody and Bethany undressed each other. Then Bethany turned on all the showers. As far as they were concerned, there was no Scream Queen in this steamy world. At least not for a few adulterous rounds of pleasure. For them, the sex was everything they'd both imagined. They were so into each other that they never heard or saw the figure appearing at the shower entrance. As Bethany was having her third orgasm, she opened her eyes and screamed. Cody screamed himself when Jesse yelled, Are you two fucking kidding me? Vicky appeared next to Jesse. Really? We got a fucking killer running around here and you two are... are... this? This? After Bethany turned off the showers, the naked couple grabbed for their clothes. Bethany took her time in getting dressed. Once more, she let her pride and status as a mirror and get the better of her. Still topless, she turned to Vicky and pushed up on her breasts. Get a good look, porn slut? She purred. They're so much bigger and better than yours. Vicky just looked at her. Yeah, and... Unlike you, people are willing to pay damn good money to see me fuck in the shower. So what's your excuse? Bethany just sneered at her. Then she turned her back to the opposite entrance and finally started to put her top back on. As she went to button it up, she screamed when the loud roar of a very large drill tore through the air. Bethany gasped and started choking on her own blood when the huge drill bit went into her back and came out just below her prides and joy. The blood spilled from Bethany's lacerations, some going down a nearby drain. Bethany finally fell forward off the drill bit and died. The Scream Queen came into the room and revved the drill in front of the last three still alive. She slipped on the wet floor and fell, allowing Jesse, Vicky, and Cody to escape. The Scream Queen got up and moved with amazing speed to retrieve the drill off the floor and began the pursuit. Jesse, Cody, and Vicky made it to the stairway and ran up two steps at a time. Back on the first floor, they ran down the hallway. The raging drill made it quite clear that the Scream Queen was right behind them. As they made the turn to the stairwell, they just missed being hit with the drill that the Scream Queen had thrown. The drill had stopped when it hit the floor. They ran up the second floor and kept moving. So far, the Scream Queen wasn't in sight. When they reached the catwalk doors, Cody opened one and motioned for the girls to go in before he followed. They were careful in moving across the catwalk above the stage. The house lights suddenly came on, which made them all scream. As they reached the opposite doors, one of them opened. The Scream Queen stepped in. This time, she had a spear in her hands. Vicky quickly grabbed the spear and struggled to take it from the killer. Finally, she had seized it. The Scream Queen just stood there and seemed to be watching. Without warning, Vicky turned and drove the spear under Cody's chin with enough force so that the tip came right out through the top of his head. Cody shook and gurgled for a few moments before Vicky just shoved him right off the catwalk. Cody's head landed on the hard wooden floor where the sickening sound of his skull shattering was heard. Jesse gasped and looked at Vicky. Why? On impulse, Jesse reached out and ripped the Scream Queen's mask right off, her knees wobbled when she saw the face of the killer. "'What the fuck?' she whispered loudly. Jessie held the bloody mask in her hands as she stared into what seemed to be her own reflection. A second Jesse Corgan. The second Jessie Corgan laughed gleefully. "'Hi, sis. Miss me?' Vicky grinned an evil grin. "'You don't recognize Jenny, your own twin sister?' You... you killed Dad, Jesse cried. Why, Jenny? Jenny quickly raised her finger. Why? Didn't you hear Daddy earlier? He found out I was embezzling money from the film society. Guess I got a little too greedy. Also, why should I have to wait until he dies to get all those millions when I can have it all now? Jesse shouted. That's what this was about? Greed? Greed? You were so goddamn greedy that you killed our father for film society money? Jenny laughed. Stealing money from the film society was bonus money, but no. You know Daddy had a pretty fucking hefty life insurance policy. Worth millions. Jesse put the rest of the pieces together. With Dad dead, you'll be the only beneficiary. You'll be set for life the film society will close down for good and you'll be on your way to a tropical paradise where you can live out the rest of your life. And you would even stoop lower to make sure the film society's horror movie would never be made. Anything to make sure Dean Roth would have no choice but to close the film society down. Right? Oh, you're wrong about one thing, sis. Jenny purred. To Jesse's surprise, Jenny eased Vicky to her for a passionate kiss. Then they turned back to Jesse. Remember when I told Nate I was married? "'Jenny's my wife,' Vicky revealed. "'We eloped around the time we came up with this plan, "'which means we will be living in paradise,' Jenny added. "'A little money and a crooked lawyer, and I also got the will changed. "'All of Daddy's money and insurance will go to us, as in Vicky and me. "'I'll never have to bust my ass for anyone ever again. "'Also, my sweetheart will be done with porn.' "'She moved away from Vicky and towards Jessie. "'Sorry, sis.' Nothing personal. Jenny reached out and shoved Jesse hard off of the catwalk. Jessie screamed only for a moment, until she landed on the back of her head and was still, forever. Blood began pulling around her head and neck. Jenny turned to face Vicky, who stood with her back to the railing. No more loose ends, love. Vicky gave Jenny a sinister smirk. Wrong. Honey, suddenly Vicky grabbed Jenny and flipped her over the railing. Jenny screamed all the way down until she landed and broke her neck. Vicky looked down and smirked again. Sorry, honey, but there's only going to be enough money for one person. Me. Till death do we part. As Vicky left the catwalk and headed downstairs, she pulled a set of keys out of her pocket, which would unlock the chains and the doors. Vicki Valentine, the unlikely sole survivor, stepped outside. She pulled out her smartphone from in between her breasts and turned it on and called the police. Truly, Vicky was indeed a great actress. The police bought everything. Vicky would only have to wait a short time to collect all of the money, graduate from Strickfield University, and say goodbye to the porn industry forever. Epilogue The cast and crew were pleased at their screening of Slasher, which played at the Strickfield Centennial Theater downtown. This particular screening was invitation only, which included the cast and crew, along with the Film Society backers, who contributed enough to get tickets to the screening as a perk. The end credits began to roll and the house lights came up. Jesse and Jenny Corgan were sitting with their father, who congratulated them on a job well done. Jesse motioned the cast and crew members present to make their way to the lobby for a meet-and-greet. Many of the cast posed for pictures. However, Vicky Valentine would end up signing copies of her adult movies that people happened to bring with them, in addition to posing for pictures. This screening was to celebrate that Slasher had made it onto the film festival circuit. Once it would finish there, it would play on the midnight movie circuit, followed by a limited theatrical run. In all, the Strickfield University Film Society would earn enough money to both keep their doors open and have enough budget to film the sequel, which the Corgan twins had already written the script for. They knew they were going to re-sign their cast and crew to help make it. Vicki Valentine was already guaranteed her role as the star and accepted it on the spot. Vicki Valentine would now be able to leave the porn industry and become a premier horror movie starlet. Not only had she agreed to star in Slasher 2, Valentine's Day, she would also go on to star in other horror movies for other independent studios. She hadn't forgotten that Slasher made her a star and made it a point to make herself available whenever the Corgan twins offered her a role. Bethany Mirren, Vicky's rival, had actually been approached by Vicky's former agent about a career in porn. Bethany would never admit it, but she had actually considered it. However, it was no secret to the cast and crew that she and Cody were seeing each other. The secret they shared between themselves was that they actually did have sex during their shower scene. They just didn't seem to want to be apart after that. When it came to the rest of the cast, Nate Henry and Stanley Farnsworth would receive individual offers to appear in or star in other independent movies. Only Lizzie Jones had actually been signed to a Hollywood contract out of all of them and would go on to win Oscars. As for the Corgan Twins, many of their movies are still playing on the Midnight Movie Circuit to this day. And many, many more are on their way. Who would have thought that our very own Strickfield is becoming a little Midwest Hollywood? Uh, And of course, just like the actual Hollywood, it's full of murderers, monsters, and... (laughs) Plenty of things you don't want to run into on a dark and stormy night. So uh, I hope you all enjoyed that one. It gave me some great slashery feels and was inspired by a listener writing in and saying they were feeling a little slashery and they were wondering if we might be able to help them out. So uh, there you go. Another slashery story for you. I hope you enjoyed it a whole hell of a lot. I enjoyed reading it and I'm sure we'll be back at the scary town of Strickfield Very, very soon. So real quick before we get out of here, I just want to mention again that we have a brand new bonus show just for Weekly Spooky fans called Behind the Spooky where you get a special look At how we make the show, why we make the show, and who we are behind the show. And you can get it exclusively at our Patreon or by becoming a recurring Tip Jar subscriber. So please consider going to WeeklySpooky.com and joining our Patreon because we've got not only bonus episodes of the podcast, we have photography sessions, we have movie clips, movie trailers, and full-length feature films that I produced and directed. And uh, I very much appreciate the support. Frankly, you know, we've done almost 75 episodes of the show. I love doing it, but your guys' support really cements my ability to commit to more than 100 episodes, which I am very committed to right now. So, real quick, I want to say a special thank you to our Patreon podcast boosters. These are people who contribute a little extra just to get a special shout-out, and that would be Michael, a.k.a. Charm, Karen Wiemet, Jeff and George Hilton, Craig Cohen, Rob Fields, and Kevin Fry. Thank you guys for helping me make the spooky every single week. So anyway, I got to get out of here. But for myself, for my producer Dan Wilder, for my composer Ray Mattis, thank you all so much for listening and supporting. It means a whole hell of a lot, and I will talk at you later. Thank you for listening. Make sure to find your way back next week. But for now, you are safe. Trust me. (sighs) (laughs)